1: This episode is brought to you by decoy wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing rosé, decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com/celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion.
2: Hey everyone, this is Kyle Dvorak. You're listening to the Tampa Bay episode of the 2018 Team Preview Series, a special edition of Road of His Radio. Our guest is Greg Amann, beat reporter of the Tampa Bay Times. He covers the Buccaneers as a beat reporter, and this episode he talks about What the offense might look like without James Winston for the first few weeks, Chris Godwin's chances of breaking out in year two, and what the Ronald Jones, Peyton Barber backfield will look like. After the interview, we'll take a few minutes to think about what he said. We'll be looking at how the distribution of touches in wide receivers and running backs will affect these players' fantasy scoring using the Rotovis apps. For those of you who don't know, Rotovis is a sports data and analytics site that publishes over 1,000 articles per year and has a suite of more than 20 proprietary apps. Go to rotovis.com to check out the site, and now let's bring on the guest... A little bit of forewarning, we did have some audio problems. The sound quality isn't great, but the content he brings is great, so make sure you stay tuned. Right now, we are talking to Greg Almond of the Tampa Bay Times. Greg, how's it going? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we love getting all the all the beat reporters on because, you know, we're we're on our computers doing all the stats, but it really does help to know, you know, I, I can say all I want it. I love Chris Godwin's talent, but if you tell me he's not getting on the field, well, it just doesn't matter. So uh, I think that can bring us into the show nicely, uh, with the biggest piece of news for Tampa Bay this season, this offseason at least, being the uh, the suspension of James Winston. Uh, for the three games we'll see Ryan Fitzpatrick under center. How has he looked so far in camp? I know it's only been a few days, but how has he looked so far, and how do you think the offense changes with him in that short time? He
3: looked good. I mean, again, Ryan Fitzpatrick's been a long time. Um, he's certainly a known commodity. Um, He did pretty well last year. I mean, he had three starts last year when Winston had a shoulder injury. I mean, it was wins against the Dolphins and the Jets, so it's nothing like what he's facing now. But he got two wins out of it, only had one interception, I think, in 115 passes in those three games. So, no, they know him well. I think he knows the talent that he's throwing to. So, as drop-offs go, from starters to backups, it's not a big one by NFL standards.
2: Uh, so the Bucks elected to pick up Winston's fifth-year option. That will be in 2019. He'll finish the starting four years of his rookie deal this year. Uh, but in his career, they haven't made the playoffs. He's got a 2.8 career interception percentage. However, he's also been able to pace for 4,000 yards, if not breaking it, because last season he did miss those games. As well as throwing 20-plus touchdowns, uh, if you account for those games, he missed you know, on a per-game basis. So with the off-field troubles now becoming on-field... Uh, where do the Bucks see him in terms of their franchise quarterback? Is he still no doubt the guy, or are there more questions now with his contract coming up in the next two
3: years? Yeah, I mean, you can't say no doubt anymore. I mean, there's definitely question marks because of the off-field. Um, like you said, I mean, they've got that fifth-year option, and, and that isn't, the nice thing about the fifth-year option is that it's not guaranteed, uh, except against injury. So in theory, if they wanted to, they could even walk away uh, next spring before, like, March 1st and, and walk away scot-free, free and clear. I don't think they want to do that. Um, and I think the fact that they've stuck with him through this, um, the intention, I think, is to, to let him have this year to try and get things back on track, behave himself off the field, uh, show some progress on the field, and then they've got him next year. I mean, it's an expensive deal next year. It's about $21 million for 2019. Uh, but that allows them to have another year, you know, where now we're talking about, you know, 18 months from now before they really have to make a decision. And even then, if they wanted to, they can kind of do the Kirk Cousins treatment and franchise it. So it's not like they really are, are tied anytime soon to having to make one of these uh, long-term NFL quarterback deals with like $70 million guaranteed or something like that. Speaking of their
2: passing game, the Bucks did select Chris Godwin last year, and he wasn't really given a huge opportunity until the final week of the season where Mike Evans did not play, and he crushed seven catches, 111 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, But how do you see things playing out uh, between him, Deshaun Jackson, maybe even guys like Adam Humphrey, Justin Watson?
3: Yeah, Chris Godwin, I I cannot uh, share enough praise from coaches, uh, unmitigated praise for how well he plays, how well he conducts himself. Uh, Did fairly well in the second half of last season. He was basically their number two receiver in the second half of the season. Um, Some of the other guys were dealing with injuries there. But no, he'll, he'll be right there, uh, I would think. I mean, Deshaun Jackson's a better deep threat, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if Godwin had more catches than Deshaun Jackson uh, or even more yards next season. I mean, he, he will be a strong number two to Mike Evans, uh, and they're excited about him long-term as being you know somebody they'll really count on. Uh, does everything the right way. Great body control. Uh, great hands. Everything you can want on a receiver. He, he's done it, and again, I, I wouldn't want to put a, a ceiling on what he can do this coming season.
2: Last season, another play they brought in was O.J. Howard. And uh, in terms of 12 personnel, uh, one running back, two tight ends, and most receivers, the team was sixth in the league. But the the gap between first, second, and third to six actually becomes pretty wide. Uh, I, they have two tight ends in Cameron Breaker, they extended. O.J. Howard coming into his second year, who looked to be prof- prolific talent in college. Do you see them, you know, maybe leading the league in terms of using two tight ends on a per play
3: basis? Yeah, I, I expect a lot of double tight end looks. I mean, they. The two guys each had six touchdowns last year, and that's with O.J. Howard missing some games and Cam Green playing through a lot of injuries. So there's certainly the possibility for more. Um, they like the, the two-tight end look because defenses aren't really sure how to handle it. I mean, you go nickel, you go base defense, they feel like they can run and pass well out of that look, uh, whether it's Evans and Shaw Jack- Jackson or Evans and Godwin as the two receivers. There's just a lot of versatility there. So um, I, I don't think Howard's natural progression takes away from how much they, like, brain as a, as a red zone threat. And they both should be big parts of the Do you think one of them, like, significantly
2: outplays the other in terms of maybe even just how they're used in the passing game? Because that is what we're looking for here, fantasy stuff. We we want those fantasy nuggets in the offseason because it's uh, a long season without football. Do you think one of them is primarily used as a pass catcher, or do they, say, split the work as tight ends in terms of
3: Yeah, what, what I would say is that it's only natural that O.J. Howard has a, better improvement just because he's going from year one to year two instead of year five to year six or year four to year five so um i, I think they trust cameron great immensely i think he's been Jameis winston's go-to red zone guy for the last two years uh but i do think oj howard just continues to develop i mean they, they felt great about him last year um he's only learning more had a nice huge touchdown today in practice where they, that same backdoor play that he keeps getting open on so no i i guess Right now, there's probably more of a, an upside to looking at Howard, but I think they both could do well. You know, if you get six touchdowns from your tight end in fantasy football, you're usually pretty happy with things. Yeah, the way tight end is right now, at least
2: beyond beyond Gronk, Travis Kelsey, uh, Zach Ertz, six touchdowns, cannot complain about that. Uh, this year, one of maybe the biggest addition uh, in terms of the offense, probably, definitely the biggest addition in terms of the offense, Ronald
3: Jones, 38th overall pick. But uh, I don't think anyone
2: for sure knows if he will get the bulk of the carries, or at least look like a workhorse. He is a rookie, and he does have a bit of a slight frame. And they have Peyton Barber, who has been successful in, in small spouts. How do you see the backfield breaking down between those two? Yeah,
3: it's a good question, Mark, and it'll probably change as the year goes on. Um, they think very highly of Ronald Jones. Um, I think he has a, a big play potential that they really lacked the last two years. Uh, the best stat for that that I keep throwing out here in these interviews is that last year the Bucks totaled nine yards on all of their rushing touchdowns all season. They had seven one-yard touchdown runs and one two-yard touchdown run for the entire season. And Ronald Jones had 353 yards in touchdowns last year in USC. So just a lot more of a big play threat than what they've had. I think they'll use him in the passing game. I do think he has some hurdles to clear in terms of... Uh, Pass protection, especially on third down, but that's kind of normal rookie hurdles. They feel really good about him. Uh, I think they'll use both running backs, especially early in the year. By the time the year carries on, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if Jones is getting more carries, more touches, more touchdowns, all that. Uh, how do you see, or at least
2: uh, so far, you know, like I said, it's, it's we only have seen these guys for a few days. But how does uh, how does Jones look as a, a pass catcher? I know that was one; it was really just third down. He. Pass blocking was a question, which is for all rookies, and pass catching was another question. Uh, didn't really do much as a pass catcher at USC, but was uh, an electric running back, you know, running between tackles, running outside. How do you see him as a pass catcher? And do you think by the end of the season he still is maybe not a third down back? And do you see, do they see him as three downs by the end of this year?
3: Yeah, but he only had thirty two catches at USC, so it wasn't used very much. Um, it seemed like that was more of a nature of him just not throwing backs very much than it was a specific flaw or a weakness for him. Uh, the Bucks like him. I put a video this morning of him getting a nice pass from Fitzpatrick in practice. Um, it's something he'll grow into. Um, you know, they have a, a third down back they've used a lot named Charles Sims, uh, who's had about 30 catches a year, um, and is perfectly fine in that role if they're not comfortable with, with what Jones can do there. But I think the goal, you take a guy in the second round, you want him to be in every down back. So, how quickly he moves into that, I don't know, but
2: they certainly hope he can be somebody they use every way you use a running back. Awesome, uh, thanks for bringing that knowledge. Especially uh, us D-Gens love hearing Charles Sims. Not a you can't go to the bar and say, "Hey, you see Charles Sims?" But uh, the fantasy degenerates playing in the middle of the summer love to hear the name Charles Sims. Uh, so the Bucks, since losing or since uh, not having John Gruden as your head coach over nearly a decade ago when he left. Uh, now they have had, I believe they've only had a coach for three years at a time since then, really haven't found a stable head coach for this team. Last year, uh, disappointing 5 and 11, which did include a James Winston injury,
3: definitely contributed to that.
2: Is there any chance Dirk Hutter is on the hot seat this season? Oh, no. He's
3: certainly on the hot seat. I don't know that there's much of a threat he gets fired during the year, just because the Glaciers don't really do that very much. Uh, but no, I mean, if, if this team doesn't take a step forward, if they're ending close to 5 and 11 after this season, uh, that's definitely a question mark. Dirk could it be gone. Um, there are some people that were surprised he got a third year. Um, after they fell so short of what they had hoped they might have this past season when they were five and eleven. So no, I think it's um, if things go well and there's positive momentum and they're challenging to be a five hundred team or a playoff team, I think Dirk's fine. Uh, but if they continue to struggle, um, if there's not that step forward, you know, they were nine and seventeen two years ago. Uh, with their cutters or coach. And if they get back to that, they're fine. But no, if not, uh, it's definitely a chance to make a change. With all this being
2: said, uh, what do you think the 2018 Bucks campaign looks like? Uh, it's tricky. Uh, I think
3: they'll be better. It's just a matter of how much better. Their, their schedule is a nasty schedule. Uh, those first three games that they have without Jameis Winston, they're at the Saints, and then they're home against the Eagles and the Steelers. So it's literally three-division champions they're playing in the first three weeks. Uh, so they could dig a pretty big hole. They're in a division that had three playoff teams last year. And none of them want to be taking a huge step back. Uh, so it's tough. I mean, they got to make up ground. No, they had a lot of close games last year. They lost, big uh, seven games uh, by 10 points or less by single score. So it, it's one of those where if you can make small adjustments, especially on the defensive side, I think a lot of those close losses could turn into close wins. But they're going to have to do it against tough teams. So right now, I think of them as being a better team, um, maybe a much better team on defense. Whether that amounts to more than seven or eight wins, I don't know, and, and probably won't know until we see it in September. Yeah, I think,
2: uh, like you mentioned, they have, I would I would argue they have the best, they play in the best division in the NFL, and then you think, oh, maybe they can pick up some wins outside the division, and then they have to run a gauntlet there. Uh, where can the people find you? I know on Twitter, at Greg Allman. Uh, go ahead, what else, where else are they looking for your stuff?
3: Yeah, I mean, the Tampa Bay Times is online at tampa TampaBay.com, all our stuff's there. Uh, like you said on Twitter, at my name, Greg Alman G-R-E-G-A-U-M-A-N. That, that's the easiest place to find me there. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks again. You have a good one. You too.
2: That was Greg Almond on Twitter at G-R-E-G-A-U-M-A-N, Greg Almond. Moving on, as you know, the NFL season is quickly approaching. Get ready for it with a subscription to RotoViz NFL Pass, which you can get right now for 30% off. This discount is for listeners of the podcast only, and it's available through the NFL Podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our NFL content and tools, and best of all, it supports this podcast. Again, be sure to get your 30% discount for an NFL Pass at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. The first person I want to talk about on the Buccaneers offense is rookie running back Ronald Jones, taking the 38th overall pick. And before we look specifically at Jones himself and how he fits with the Buccaneers, I want to take a a higher view on what second round running backs have done historically. Over the past 10 years, second round running backs have seen a surprisingly low 131 carries on the average second round running back season and just 30.5 targets. That's really low volume overall. Part of that can be attributed to second-round running backs playing in, on average, 12.4 games in the rookie season, but starting just 5.3, I think this shows that Ronald Jones, too, might need some time to get acclimated before he can even take over the starting role, and even if he does in week one, it doesn't guarantee him the volume we'd like. Another thing the second-round running backs didn't do particularly well was score touchdowns. They averaged just 3.3 touchdowns on the ground and less than one touchdown through the air, Certainly, there are prolific seasons in the range of outcomes for second-round running backs. We've seen players like Matt Forte, for his first season of the year, start all 16 games, 316 carries. Added on that, a 76 target total. And even players like Eddie Lacy, 284 carries, 44 targets. Certainly, that's within the range of outcomes, but the bottom end is really horrible with a player like Isaiah Peed, if you, if you can recall that name. Isaiah Peed played in 15 games, started just one and saw a grand total of 10 carries, so I think we get really excited about these second-round running backs, but that doesn't guarantee them a starting role or significant opportunity in in year one. Looking more closely at Ronald Jones himself, based on player profiler, 5'11", 205 pounds, the biggest concern with that is a 28.6 BMI, 17th percentile. Judging athleticism for him really isn't accurate because he's been dealing with injuries in both the combine and his pro day, but with that being said, a 4 5 3, 40 69th percentile, adjusting that for his height and weight, still above average, and burst above average as well. On a bum leg, I think we can assume that he is at least a plus athlete, if not a, a higher percentile athlete. Then you look at his college dominator and his college yards per carry, 68th percentile yards per carry, 74th percentile college dominator, both putting the team on his back and doing that efficiently. Really impressive what he was able to do at USC at such a young age, just 21 years old right now. The biggest concern for him is that target share, 4.3% target share, 16th percentile. Really lends credence to what Greg was saying, that early on especially, expect to see a lot of Peyton Barber, maybe even some Charles Sims third down, and I don't know, based on what we saw second round running backs historically getting in terms of receiving volume, that even by the end of the year, he is a true three down back. In the past month, Ronald Jones ADP, 56 overall according to MFL 10 just behind Lamar Miller and just ahead of Royce Freeman. I think that's fair value for him, but I think Royce Freeman just below him may be a slightly better value, and Lamar Miller has the volume that Ronald Jones just isn't guaranteed. The players going behind those players are Tevin Coleman, Tariq Cohn, Carlos Hyde, and Rex Burkhead. After Royce Freeman, there might be a significant drop-off. Certainly you could lump Ronald Jones in with that tier, but I think maybe he bookends it. And with the range of second-round running backs being so wide historically, if you've played your draft safe through the first four rounds, Ronald Jones is a great upside play, but if you've already taken a lot of high-variance players, maybe Josh Gordon or Alex Collin, guys we don't have a large sample on in recent history, I would shy away from another risky pick like Ronald Jones. A player like Royce Freeman had similar college efficiency and dominator combinations, 65th percentile dominator, 72nd percentile yards per carry, but what really sticks out is his above-average college target share, and I think that could definitely lock him in for a larger workload, and I think Peyton Barber poses a larger threat to Ronald Jones than someone like Devontae Booker does for Royce Freeman. Moving on to the receivers, a guy we didn't talk about nearly as much because it seems like we know so much about him relative to a guy like Chris Godwin is Mike Evans. Based on MFL 10 ADP over the past month, Mike Evans is going 23rd overall on average and is the ninth receiver off the board. Last season, he finished as the 17th receiver, and looking at airyards.com, it's pretty easy to see why. He was converting his air yards into actual receiving yards, how you score fantasy points at a really low rate. Of the top 50 receivers in total PPR points last season, Mike Evans, .53 racer, ranked fourth to last behind guys like Jordy Nelson, Martavis Bryant, and Alshon Jeffrey, only one of whom had a really at all a successful NFL season last year. And one of the things Josh Hermsmeyer has talked about, the founder of Air Yards, is that racers are particularly good stat at predicting next year's efficiency when you give it a large sample size, when we know we know that Antonio Brown, for instance, is a highly efficient player. And looking at the sample size of Mike Evans, it's not good. In Mike Evans' rookie season, he had a racer of 0.58, the following season 0.55, and the two consecutive seasons after that, 0.53 each. It's pretty clear that he's a guy who, the anecdotes or the the film, the people who watch film who say he's mostly catching the ball and falling down, he doesn't have a a lot of yards after a catch, and he doesn't really have that in his repertoire, they are mostly true in that he really just converts what he gets in terms of air yards at an extremely low rate. With that being said, his saving grace is exactly those air yards. Last season, he was fifth in air yards with nineteen hundred and five total air yards, trailing guys just behind AJ Green and Julio Jones. and he's been a monster air yards guy throughout his career. This season, he didn't convert them as well as he had in previous seasons, and on top of that, he wasn't scoring touchdowns. I do think we get somewhat of Mike Evans bounce back when it, at least when it comes to touchdowns, only five touchdowns on one hundred and thirty six targets is well below what you'd expect based on just uh, touchdown rates, and he could improve his racer at least a little bit. He was slightly below his career average, but after four years, it's starting to come up on that we know what Mike Evans is, and he's maybe more Vincent Jackson than he is Calvin Johnson, and that's all right, but it does cap his ceiling unless they have another season where they lose all of their receivers, and with the depth they have, Chris Godwin, Deshaun Jackson, even Adam Humphreys, and the tight ends... I don't see that happening. I do think he's a a reasonable value at his ADP because we know what he is, and that's likely to be at least a low-end wide receiver one. But the Mike Evans of two years ago was probably more of an outlier than we'll see. Since Mike Evans has joined the team, the second receiver on that team has peaked at 17% target share. That was last season where Deshaun Jackson registered 90 targets, did miss a few games due to injury, but adjusting for those games, a 17% target share is what he saw. And I think even if Chris Godwin can beat out Adam Humphreys for that slot role, it'll be difficult for him to get a significant target share like Deshaun Jackson did last year or like Mike Evans always sees, and that doesn't even include the fact that they have two extremely talented tight ends in Cameron Bright and OJ Howard. Chris Godwin's racer last year, .72, was much more efficient than Mike Evans and much more efficient than Deshaun Jackson. I just think that the volume might be difficult to come by, probably more of a streaming or a matchup-dependent guy than a reliable guy like Mike Evans, obviously. I do think, though, he provides more upside than than most other players you can find at his ADP, because we did see at the end of last season Mike Evans missed the final game, and Chris Godwin went off, getting 7 catches, 111 yards, and a touchdown. I think for him to really reach peak value, guys like Adam Humphries and Deshaun Jackson will have to go down, or if Mike Evans should miss any time due to injury, that's really where Chris Godwin shines. Finally, let's look at the tight end position, because this is another one where I think if you choose the right guy, if there even is one, you can find fantasy value, but choosing the right guy might be difficult. Looking at their ADPs right now, O.J. Howard is slightly ahead of Cameron Brate, going at 131 over the past month in NFL 10s. Just outside the top 12 tight ends, Cameron Brate trails him just slightly by about one round, going at 143, two tight ends behind him. And what they both accomplished last year was pretty impressive. Using the road of his Air Yards app, Cameron Brate. Was by far and away the more the more used receiver, getting 715 air yards to O.J. Howard's 462, 77 targets to O.J. Howard's 39. But they both scored six touchdowns. I think Cameron Braid did this much more predictably, where O.J. Howard was incredibly efficient with a .94 racer and a lot higher depth of target, a 11.8 a dot compared to Cameron Braid's 9.3. I think it's likely for, that for the 13th and 15th tight ends going right now in MFL tens. They're both reasonable values because the opportunity cost is not that high. They're barely going inside the top 150 and in a in a format where you don't have to pick who you want to start every week and it will give you those big O.J. Howard boom games and it will give you those Cameron Brake red zone games. Both of them are reasonable values, but in redraft I would probably shy away or if one of them falls sure I I could see you taking a risk on them. One final thing I wanted to talk about is what to do in redraft with the quarterback situation here. Ryan Fitzpatrick will play the first three games while Jameis Winston serves a suspension, and then Jameis Winston will come back and then have a bye week in his second week back. Starting off looking at Ryan Fitzpatrick, last year his completion percentage under 60%, his adjusted yards per attempt under 7 and a below average touchdown rate at 4.3%. His career touchdown rate, 4.3% as well, a low AYA and not a great completion percentage. There's not a lot of optimism to be had with Ryan Fitzpatrick, and then you look at his matchups in his first three weeks, and there's just not really any good chance to be playing him. First at New Orleans, then Philadelphia at home and Pittsburgh at home, all of those teams were in the upper half of the league in terms of net yards per attempt allowed. I can maybe see, see Fitzpatrick as a contrarian play in the, the home games he has, but even then, they're still playing quality defenses I know I won't have any Ryan Fitzpatrick in redraft, and there's not a great chance I have much of him in DFS either. Moving on to Jameis Winston, first off, you have to consider the fact that you will have to waste a roster spot for the first three weeks just to hold on to him and get what has not been a prolific fantasy quarterback. We were banking on a breakout... But now he could have a a broken continuity with his players. He won't won't get to play the first three games of the season with younger players like Chris Godwin or Ronald Jones, O.J. Howard. But putting all that to the side, his first matchup is at Chicago. Chicago is another upper half in terms of defensive efficiency against the pass team. Then, bye week, week five. So, really, Chicago is a risky play. Then you don't play in week five. Week six, at Atlanta, another away game, which quarterbacks tend to do worse at. And Atlanta was another upper half efficiency. They're not great. A quarterback away and a plus defense, not the best spot to be in. So really, you're looking at playing him in risky week four, not playing in week five by week, then week six, another not great matchup in Atlanta. Really, the first matchup you want to play him in is home Cleveland. That's that will be a smash play if I've ever seen one. But with that being said, really, your first matchup you are confident in getting him to play is week seven. Weeks four and six are risky, and week five, you can't play him. Four of your first five weeks, you don't get to play him, then two of the other weeks in the first six, you're at least concerned with his matchup. I'm just not sure it's worth holding on to a player like that until you really get into the meat of his schedule at week, week seven versus Cleveland, then he gets Cincinnati. Those are matchups I can get on board with, but until then, you just aren't confident or not able to play him. You can probably average something similar streaming quarterbacks to what you get out of Jameis Winston unless he truly breaks out this season. I just don't see why you would hold on to a player for that long, wasting the roster spot, missing valuable guys like a like a running back who gets new opportunity because of an injury or a breakout wide receiver, a tight end we didn't see coming. It just seems like the holding cost is far too high to actually want to play him, especially when you look at his matchups, the first two coming back and the bye week. If you really believe in the Jameis Winston breakout, I would just consider trading for him even as he comes back against Chicago or Atlanta, but the holding cost of Jameis Winston is too high for me personally. Well, that was awesome. Greg was a really great guest. I thank him a lot for coming on, lending his time out of his busy schedule with training camp officially going on. So that is going to bring us to a close for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers episode of the 2018 Road of His Radio Team Preview Series. I've been your host, Kyle Dvorak. Find me on Twitter at FFKyleTheKid. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the 2018 Team Preview Series. Our assistant executive producer is Colm Kelly, and our executive producer is Matthew Friedman. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Road of His radio And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount on the Rotoviz Radio homepage. Rotoviz.com forward slash podcast.